Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're focusing on commercial and productivity considerations in a professional football club. Apologies for the poor sound quality at times. Delighted to be joined by Danny Macklin, who's Chief Executive of my biggest passion, Leighton Orient Football Club. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Uh, thank you very much, Simon. I was worried you were going to say one of your passions. It's, uh, it must I be know, Fre- Freudian passion. slip. <laughs> yeah, no, it is my biggest passion and those people that know me well will, will be bored by all my Leighton Orient stories, I'm sure. But uh, but nevertheless, so we find ourselves in strange times, but we've we've managed to make time to record this podcast. We're looking at all things productivity, so we'll we'll kick off with a, a couple of questions in a second. But for the listeners, it'll be good if you could give some background of kind of your career and how you've got to where you are today. Yep. So I've been now with Leighton Orient for two and a half years as CEO. I was in various roles before that with Southend United and with Essex Cricket, where I was for over eight years. So I've got yeah, 12 years now or so, 13 years in port uh, administration background. That's where my passion lies. And since joining Lake Orient, we've had a very turbulent, mainly enjoyable, but certainly some very down uh, and, and bad times with a tragic passing last summer of Justin Edinburgh, our head coach, uh, only literally just a matter of weeks before he got us back into the Football League. So we've enjoyed winning the league. We've enjoyed a trip to Wembley. We've savoured some moments, but then we've enjoyed losing at Wembley and uh, tragically losing Justin. And that's all before COVID-19. Yeah, which, um, before before that, there was a, a real strange period of, uh, of ownership with the Italians. So it's never dull. I think Justin's given us a legacy to build on and some amazing memories that, that none of us will forget. So if we turn our mind to kind of professional sport, a lot of our work's in retail and hospitality. But actually, when you think about it, the whole productivity piece comes into professional sport. So from a professional sports capacity, what does productivity mean to you and the club as a whole from players, youth team and then all the, the commercial side? Yes, yeah, an interesting question. That one. When you look at the definition of productivity, it's probably not exactly the same way that I interpret it. Therefore, perhaps my interpretation is wrong. But the way I've always looked at it and the way that they ignore it, to me, it's doing the tasks, whether it's projects, the processes, the applications that we follow in the most efficient way we possibly can. In normal times, uh, business and sport requires real sort of, I guess, out-of-the-box thinking. By that, I mean that sport traditionally wrongly is money. We're, at the moment, no exception to that, especially other clubs in the lower leagues. That, that's sadly the norm. We, therefore, have to be a bit creative. We have to work closer with our fans, closer with our corporate clients and partners and sponsors alike, to really look at ways that we can be as productive as we can. We we operate on a very small resource in comparison to the output of the organisation. And we we have to constantly review every single thing we do because we we need to return our investment swiftly. So it's quite a broad answer, but I think uh, that's the stance that we and Orient have. And what what's some of the kind of best innovation that you've seen creative thinking wise? I know uh, the example that stands out for me at Orient is the the pizza delivery at halftime. So you see the guy come across and deliver the pizza to the third dugout. But are there any, any other examples you can share without giving anything away? Yeah, I mean, then just to expand upon that, you're right. Josh, uh, obviously, I had a commercial, you know, obviously exceptionally well, Simon. It was his, his brainwave on that one, and I remember looking at him going, okay. But yeah, just a simple concept. Papa John's, one of our corporate partners, effectively brings that into into the stadium. It created a monumental amount of PR, and it's just things like that. It's just sometimes it's quirky, sometimes it's genius, uh, and other times it's it's both of them. Uh, and we try to look at ways that we 
raise exposure to our sponsors without being silly because you can create sometimes negative PR by that. But, you know, there's other bits that we do as a club with our streaming platform, for example. And so nothing's ground. We know we're not reinventing the wheel, but we're doing things that a club at our level doesn't normally do. And we've got soccer camps around the world. We have soccer camps in the UK. We've got football camps when it's in the UK, soccer camps when it's overseas. But, you know, we have overseas um, football fans and youngsters come over, savour a bit of our coaching and then watch a game and you know, clubs at our level don't do that sort of thing and the camps that we've done in the States in Denmark and potentially in the future in places like New Zealand uh, that's what stands us out and you know, that does make us very productive and along the way I suppose you may find the next Ronaldo or David Beckham as, as part of that process in, in untapped countries yeah 100% I mean that would be a, a, a benefit that we don't expect but if it did happen that would be a, certainly an added bonus looking at it from a, an angle of what's the biggest asset other than the, the players who are clearly the asset because if they do well I'm assuming that that makes productivity and commercial productivity easier if they're not doing so well it, it's more of a challenge the stadium is in terms of utilisation used well probably twice every two weeks if you've got a home game on a Saturday and a a Tuesday, how do you kind of balance off that big asset with the with the cost of keeping the ground and keeping everything up to date with finding innovative ways to try and use it without clearly destroying the pitch for your biggest asset to play on during the season? Yeah, it's a very fair comment. Uh, Nigel Travis, our chairman, uh, always makes the analogy to a factory and it's a good analogy. You wouldn't keep a factory open if it was only open 23 days or 365 of the year and effectively that's the football model. So when we came on board two, two and a half years ago as a, a sort of a new, new brigade, so to speak, new ownership, new CEO, new commercial and marketing teams, we, we, we tried to turn everything upside down. Previously, the, what is now the Braille Group Stadium was utilised probably one or two percent time of the year away from football. Uh, we've probably increased that now to sort of 10 or 15 percent. But, you know, even that stat, we've got a long way to go to move to the next level. And, you know, we are moving you know, absolutely everything we can to grow on match day. And that's the sustainability we're all about, getting to a sustainable, successful football club. And non-match day plays a massive role in that. And we're, we're getting there, but it's a long, long journey. So one that we know that we'll rise to. And my assumption is that the biggest challenge with that is not wrecking the pitch. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of times that I'll have Josh or one of the sales or team come to us and say, I've got this here. They want to do a filming of a television advert for a sports brand. Uh, they want to film it Friday. Uh, that's the only slot they've got. And we play Saturday. I mean, sometimes football gets in the way of it, ironically. But we therefore have to turn down certain bookings like that, where there's those timeframes. And one of the options we're looking at is the potential of a hybrid pitch so that we can do more events like that. And we, we, we're turning down over a year a good six-figure sum from bookings that we can't facilitate. Many that we can, but I'd love to be able to not turn any of those away. Yeah, I remember... Last season in the conference when we played Harrogate, I happened to get speaking to the, the guy who owned Harrogate and ironically his son's the manager. And he was saying at the time they were kind of in the playoffs, perversely, if they got promoted, it would cost them money because of all the income they generate by having a plastic pitch, which isn't allowed in the Football League. Yeah, and I think it's rightly so that it's not allowed in the Football League. We met with uh, Martin Keown randomly. Nigel had got to know him on a uh, on, on a talk sports show, and we were probably of the opinion that that should be allowed in League One and League Two. But then, when you speak to players and speak to people like Martin Keown, the damage that can do when you're training on it, let alone playing on it, 
is quite substantial. There's a lot of science behind that, and there's science that disproves it as well. There always is the science, but uh, I think the the Deso pictures by far are much better than an yeah, plastic thing. My first ever Orient game with my dad was Preston North End away on a horrific, must have been a 2G pitch at the time when they were all wearing trainers and tracksuit pants. We did win 3-0, which was probably hooked me in for life. But yeah, it wasn't football by any stretch. It was uh, trying not to fall over. Yeah, I remember QPRs and Derby's. It was good, yeah. Yeah, bad days they were on those pitches. <laughs> Anti-football. Yeah. So clearly the, the club's trying to grow and, and you and Nigel and Kent and the, the board, Ross, and then the players on the pitch are all an integral part of that. So with a, with a growth mindset, and I know Nigel talks about growth mindsets a lot in, in his books and the stuff he does, how do you balance that kind of cost control efficiency in your considerations to grow? And I think I'd, I'd probably caveat that with we've, as Orient fans, we've had the owner who allegedly had a lot of money, who spent a lot of money and it delivered our darkest three seasons is the reality. Yeah, I think it's a case of having sense of perspective. We make sure that the input that we have from, from the board, it's not just monetary, it's advice, it's guidance, it's suggestions and everything. It's an absolutely phenomenal board to have the pleasure of working for. So as I said, that our number one challenge and objective is to be sustainable, to be a successful focus football club we're on that journey but it's not straightforward to get there so when we're looking at ways that we can you know, have that growth mindset and that is at the forefront of every single person's mind uh, on and off the pitch is how we can make the club better tomorrow than it is today we have to look at what, what what's going to make a difference on the return on investment tomorrow rather than in two years time it's not to say that we aren't long-term planning but we have to look at strategies that we put in place on how we can initially have an effect and how it can grow over time. And that's, uh, we, we come up with 100 ideas every day. We've got a very intuitive and a very creative uh, team behind us. And we make sure that if we've got 100 ideas, we whittle that down to two or three and, and work on those that make best use of the resources we've got and be, be as efficient as we can because we can't continue to lose money as every football club that said does. We need to be making sure that we've got a, a decent return on every investment that we make. Yeah, if I liken it to business, I think it's interesting because social media plays a big part of that, and clearly everybody's got an opinion. Uh, football may be slightly different because emotions take over. If I go to my supermarket and buy something and don't like it, I might tweet it, and they may respond or not. Football's very opinionated, and the emotion of win, lose, or draw gets in the way. So, how do you kind of temper the the fans at any club want them to sign the next best player, spend a lot of money and get promoted. But that's fine if you're playing football manager in, in real life. I assume it's a lot different. Yeah, I think it's that the management and communication of expectation. Yeah, we all want our team when it comes to the start of August to go and win the league and win the FA Cup and et cetera, et cetera. Clearly, we all want that. The reality is in each division, only one team can really be ultimately successful and one or two behind it get promoted. Uh, so there's nine, nine times out of ten, you're going to have twenty odd teams that have deemed that they've not achieved that initial uh, objective. So it is a case of being realistic. We've got a strategy that we want to spend sort of three seasons in each division to sort of stabilise, get close to the playoffs, maybe flirt with it, and then the following year do it. So we're ahead of schedule already. Uh, we, we we spent two years getting out of the national league, but we, we thought it might take three or four. So you could argue we're, we're ahead of schedule, and it is just a case of managing everyone's expectations and making sure that we're sustainable. We can go and 
spend a fortune on buyers or a fortune on facilities, but it, that's not going to necessarily be, a, be on the journey to what can be sustainable. And that's where previous owners of football clubs and even current owners of some football clubs at the moment just don't have that long-term vision and it's short-term gains and long-term pain. Yeah, and I think history tells us certainly from a, a late and orient point of view that our best seasons have been when we've had good squads that have gelled as you know the individual the sum of the team is greater than the the individual parts rather than we've had expensive buys or we've spent money so then comes back to kind of culture ethos coaching management and leadership as you say so it, it it's interesting i think the elite can potentially buy success because they can keep on spending but we'll see as we come out the the back of kind of the covid piece we're in now that power changes or if that that role changes so I think that'll be an interesting time yeah I think so just to touch on what you said about the ethos I think when Justin came in came in the recipe when when we met uh, as, as a board and Martin our, Ling, our director of football and myself met with Justin we knew within seconds that the fit was just right the recipe was right and he just took everyone on that next level and it's just amazing that one person has such a difference clearly it takes you know, the players it takes the coaching staff it takes the board and Martin and everyone else to make that happen but it, it's amazing the difference that one person's ethos and just their experience and attitude to everything can, can transform uh, the performance of in our case football club yeah yeah it's just his, his legacy will live on I'm sure so in, in terms of sponsors clearly we're, we're one but you there's a there's many different levels within within football and, and the club so how do they contribute and I, I think from a wider point of view Clearly, from a, f- a football inside, that's a big source of income. Would your take be for other businesses that are thinking about sponsoring within sport or have never sponsored within sport and seen it as a, a use of their spend? Yeah, I think sports sponsorship's changed in the last, even the time I've been in sport, and it's changed in the last few years. For the, for the good, it used to be, we'll put an ad board up, uh, we might have a phone call once every you know, three months, if that, and then we'll sort of see you next May when we send you your renewal check doesn't work like that anymore uh, and ho- hopefully you can give first-hand account that that isn't the approach we use we make sure that every potential sponsor or partner we're going to work with becomes a partner we use that word partnership rather than sponsorship uh, because that's exactly what it is we try to before we even pitch to, to a company what is it that they want to achieve from being associated with London's second oldest football club many people's love many other fans of like Tottenham we're their sort of second choice team how can we tap into that to engage with that brand, that company, that business in a really, truly engaging way? How can we understand what their objectives of the uh, partnership are, what their metrics of measuring that success are, what they want to achieve? Is it exposure of the brand? Is it direct sales? Whatever it is, and we make sure that the package that we tailor isn't tailored to us, to our needs. It's tailored to theirs. And we know that if they're happy with a with a proposal, uh, they're more likely to want to work on that and they're more likely to have a long-lasting, beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship with the football club. And we we make sure we spend an awful lot of time, and I've worked with some great commercial teams, and the team I think we've got now is right up there with some, some of the best in, in, in the football league. And we do it by just sheer hard work, listening and making sure we adapt. You know, everything is tailored. There is no package off the shelf. And I always say to someone considering sport sponsorship, sport is unique. And I think at the moment when we come out of this COVID-19, sport become even more relevant. When I ask people just away from sport, what are you missing most? They're missing 
you know, normality of life. And one of those things they're missing is socialising with their friends and their family and people that wouldn't necessarily call their friends, but just have a chat with from three o'clock to five o'clock every other Saturday. Sports unique. It can it can ignite your heart. It can send your mind racing. It can give you the best moment you've ever had in your life, perhaps aside from childbirth. Uh, and it can give you the worst. You can be despairing one minute and the next minute you have an elation moment. Uh, and I always use the analogy. If, if you're, you know, what other industry in the world do you travel up all the way up on the M6 on a cold Tuesday night, you know, 500 mile round trip to go up there? You wouldn't do that to go and visit anything, a supermarket, for example, but you, you would do it for your football club. And I think it's that unique bond and loyalty uh, that you take for granted that, you know, a potential partner, a potential company to take advantage of and become associated with that euphoria that does exist and the ups and downs that exist in professional sport. And I, th- I don't think the rewards are going to be, you know, they're never going to be greater. Uh, clubs and businesses in, in football and, and other sports are going to have to work even harder with their sponsors to deliver on their expectations and then go and exceed those expectations. So it's probably, it's a cliche, but the best time to get involved in in the, in the sponsorship and partnership with a professional football club and clearly with Lake Lauren at the top of that list. And I think, you know, that there will be a real sort of empathy to companies that put support behind clubs, however small or large that is. They'll think they're supporting my football club at the time when their incomes are being hit themselves and the football incomes being hit. And they'll have even more empathy and more desire to support the services of those companies that are helping support their football club. It's, it's a unique it's a unique time. I think now's the time to engage with you know, the most loyalist of consumers. We don't call consumers. They're so loyal, we call them fans. They're fans for life and they're, you know, they're part of the family. Yeah, I'd echo those thought our, our involvement's been been brilliant and we've been really pleased. Clearly, we got involved at a good time because it was on the back of some dark times, so we've seen some some good things. But yeah, the in- interaction with you and your team and then you know some of their board and players and going to watch training and that kind of stuff and then seeing some of the players we sponsored move on so Macaulay Bond to, to Charlton and you know you get the odd text every now and again so like you say it's more than than just a board around the stadium and people talk about family it does does feel like an extended family I think as as the club grows that's that's the bit that we need to keep hold of because I'm I'm sure it's quite easy to lose sight of that as well as as things grow you're, you're completely right Simon yeah that's, that never ever be taken for granted or assumed but uh, but no, it, it, it's all been good. So I think that's been an interesting chat, Danny. There's there's certainly some synergies between business productivity and sports productivity. There's also, as you rightly said, those things around the wider sponsorship part of being involved in sport that you kind of can't replicate. <laughs> yeah. If people want to find you, they can e- email you at, at the club, which details are on the website. You're also on LinkedIn as well, aren't you? So yeah, if anybody yeah. wants to get in touch... Very much so, and yeah, welcome a, a virtual coffee with someone in the, in the coming days. Yeah, appreciate your time, Danny. I know it's uh, it's strange we know football, but hopefully we'll get back there soon, get back to winning ways. We will, and thanks for your time, and I uh, hope everyone stays well. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Danny.